Despite my extraness, I am honored to be here. This is a reverent thing for me to be speaking here on this stage. Um, couple, of, couple of little things before we get into the word this morning. Uh, one, uh, Springhouse Presents is coming up. All right, all right, look, don't look. You ain't got to clap for me, but you'll miss out. You'll be like, dang, I missed it on Facebook, right? So I'll be complaining and crying that you didn't get your entry in, Okay. Uh, it's coming up July 29th is when it's going to be, but we're filming today after service, and I need all as many extras as I can get, okay, depending on how excited you are about being an extra, depending on how much screen time you get in the video, okay, so Arwen, you're already up front, right, so uh, so we're going to shoot a video after church, 1230, probably take 15 minutes, okay, we'll do it in one take because we're good like that, okay, uh, and second, um, uh, so we're shooting a video after service. The next thing I want to say is there are, um, I'm going to be sharing some memories this morning and testimonies. And there are a lot of people that don't have what I like to call an exotic testimony. Okay. I have a very exotic testimony and a lot of real, and you're going to find out. And uh, a lot of times there's people that be like, well, man, my testimony is not like that, man. And here's what I want to say to you guys. Like, do you think it's more powerful to say, I stayed, my, I kept my car on the road the whole time? Or is it more exciting to say, I had to be drug out of a fiery car crash every two years of my life, right? What do you think, right? Would you rather be like, I've, I've stayed the course, or I have been a train wreck, and people have had to come get me multiple times? Okay, so a testimony of faithfulness is much more impressive, in my opinion, than my craziness over the years, because I've had to be pulled out of fiery car wrecks multiple times. Not literally, but anyway. Uh, can we pray? God, there's a lot of nonsense going. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much. I... God, it's an honor to be standing here in your house, in this place, sharing testimonies and memories of of who you are and how you've shown up time and time again and rescued me. And you continue to rescue me. And you rescue us because you love us. You love us and we're thankful for it. Father, I pray that the words I share this morning would honor you. Holy Spirit, that you would anoint me with power to point to you, to show your goodness in my life. I love you, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. So uh, I am a son of this house. There's a lot of new faces. A lot of you guys may not know me, but I am a son of this house. But I've not always been in this house. So I want to give you guys a little bit of a background on how I got to Spring House, which wasn't always Spring House. Um, so I, uh, I grew up in East Nashville, and I grew up in East Nashville before it was, like, cool to be in East Nashville. You know what I'm saying? Like, now it's, like, hip. Like, you're like, yeah, East Nashville. I was like, we're going to East Nashville? Like, yeah, it's a great little coffee shop. We're going to get some brunch. I'm like, you're going to get shots. What's going to happen? <laughs> For real. Little Englewood, right? Uh, so I grew up in East Nashville before it was cool to be in East Nashville. Literally, we used to do mission trips from East Nashville to East Nashville. Like, you get on the church bus, and you go, like, two blocks over, and now you're, like, the hands and feet of Jesus in the neighborhood. You can still see the church from where you're at. Um, but my mom, my mom and dad, uh, my mom, well, mainly my mom. My dad got on board later on. Uh, but she, that's not a slight dad. This is true. Uh, she was real big about keeping us in church, right? 
Um, and, and so I like the, the week after I was born, I was immediately in church, right? Little baby, like still red and squishy and, and showing people around, right? So I was in church, people praying over me, um, and I needed those prayers. I think those prayers are still being carried out today. God, keep him safe, protect him, watch over him, anoint him, empower him, right? Uh, from the time I was a wee little baby, um, but my mom always kept us in church, and it was the coolest church. It was an old church. I don't think, I think I was probably the only kid there, maybe one other kid, right? It was 400 people, and I was like, it's up to us to continue this church. If not, it's dying two years from now, right? And it was back in the day where you still had, like, the phone book of the church. We had people's pictures, and a couple of y'all know, right? Uh, I'm not going to say who would know, but... So we, we went to these little Baptist, she kept us in this Baptist church, and we finally realized that church is going to die. We got to get out of there. Um, she took us to another Baptist church. So we grew up in these Baptist churches, and, um, and so I've always had this knowledge and this understanding and this concept of who God is. I, I would race people in Bible books, and we'd do Bible quizzes and, and all that, and so I, I had a, a base knowledge of the Word and an understanding of the Godhead and, and how, um, how, what, what life is about. Or so I thought. Um, but my concept of salvation was really skewed from the beginning. And I don't know why, but I've been baptized in every boat dock from here to Hermitage. Like, I have, I have been baptized so many times. I've been baptized in Springhouse three times, three times here, right? And finally I got it. I was like, calm down. They was like, Justin, we're not baptizing you again. We're not baptizing you again. I'd go through something and I'd be like, look, my name is like on a chalkboard. Like this, is like, oh, your name's in the book of life? Yeah, right. I'm sorry, whoever's, y'all better memorize that. <laughs> so I, I'm serious. Like I, I had this idea that my name was written in chalk. And that's going to be a chapter in the book whenever I write it. Memoirs down the road, right? My name is written in chalk. And so I was always living on this, this you, you've got to perform to a certain level. Right? Anybody that struggles with the performance trap know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you don't, you never measure up. You're never going to measure up. And I don't know where that came from. Um, I don't know that if it came from some of the teaching or some of the beliefs or if I picked it up somewhere. I actually believe it was a tactic of the enemy from a little bitty boy. Is that God's blessing? It was a tactic of the enemy because if he knew he could get my mind then my body would follow. So I grew up in East Nashville, and we got to the point where um, if you lived on one side of Gallatin Road, you were zoned for Stratford High School. And if you lived on the other side of the road, you were zoned for Maplewood High School. So my parents were basically faced with this decision, what gang do we want him in, <laughs> right? You think I'm playing, go, go roll up to Stratford on homecoming, right? Go on down there, right? Um, after you leave the coffee shop, Will, so we're going to get you a latte and then go to the Stratford homecoming, okay? Uh, so they was like, what do we do? Uh, let's move. Let's just move, right? We, the, neither of these are good options. So we moved to Laverne in 1997, and uh, there was nothing to do in Laverne in 1997. And uh, so I'd reached, I was about 14, and my mom uh, had reached, realized that she's reached the point where she can't make me go to church anymore. But she started coming to church at Smyrna Assembly of God. And Smyrna Assembly was just the small building, which is the cool church room now. 
and she came because my cousin Tony and Kathy came, and they came because Rena and Gary Montgomery came and were involved. And so I, um, I would only come on the big three. Does everybody know the big three? I'll give you a sec. Do you know the big three? Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day. It's the big three. I was a big three guy, okay? So your mom, mom she'd throw, out the, she'd throw the, the normal guilt. Sure would love for you to come church with me on Sunday. Nah, I'm cool. Mother's Day's in two weeks. I'll be there, Mom. I, will, I won't miss it, right? So, uh, so I, I, I would only really come on the big three, but, but I noticed there were some other guys here um, over the years that I made connections with, and they were also other big threers, right? Because I knew them outside of the church. And I was like, you don't, you don't go to church. Like, I, I know what you're doing. You're up to no good. And, um, and so in that time, like when, when we moved to Laverne, right, my parents kept us, uh, she moved us out, and they moved us out of Nashville so I wouldn't get in trouble. And then we moved to Laverne in 97, and there was nothing to do here but get in trouble. There was all there was to do. And um, so I, I started experimenting with, uh, with drugs, marijuana, and alcohol just at an early age. And it started off as, as just having fun and peer pressure and, and just being a normal teenager. But I cannot pinpoint, but somewhere along the way, just hanging out and having fun turned into a spiritual bondage that would span almost two decades of my life almost two decades of my life. And so my drug use just ramped up over and uh, uh, more and more and more and more and more over the years as a teenager, as a teenager. So by the time I'm a young adult, right? And I think when I start using drugs at 14, I stop maturing emotionally and spiritually, right? But my body keeps growing. And now I'm a 23-year-old guy, I'm not going to say man, I'm a 23-year-old guy who has the emotional and maturity of a 14-year-old kid. And the older I get, the more I'm still in that all-about-me, self-absorbed state. So years of drug use, years of drug use, years of drug use, right? And, um, and my mom would come to this place, this house, and she would pour out her heart to the brothers and sisters here. And she would cry on these altars and she would pray for me. Alan and my mom and several others used to pray over there in that back corner over there, praying for her son who was strung out, who just ran away, who she knew had an anointing from a young age. When she brought him into the church, she said, God, this is your son, this is your baby. I'm gonna use him for the kingdom. And then she's watched him destroy himself over the years. I pray I never have to watch my kids go through that. I can't imagine what it's like for a mother to say, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do but put him in your hands, God. And at the end of the day, that's the best thing you can do is put him in your hands. And so my mom would pray for me. They would pray. This church prayed for me before they knew me. They prayed for me. And, um, and I had been on the run. I had gotten into some trouble. I'd been on the run from, uh, from the police and everything. Like, yeah, because like, that's what happens naturally, right? Those, those two go together, okay? Drug use and police officers. And what's crazy is when I was a kid, if you ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be a cop that plays the guitar. <laughs> and I was a criminal who was a rapper. And that is not the same thing. <laughs> it's not. I don't even know how to play a guitar at all. Never learned. 
It's their fault. They never got me one. Now they got me one. It was too late. It was way too late, though. Um, so, so my mom, she's praying for me, and the church. Uh, Alan is praying for me, and there's so many others that are praying for me in this in this church. And uh, and again, they would had a, a a little bit of an understanding because who I was, because they they saw me when I'd come for the big three, right? And then, uh, but my mom, she just watched me killing myself, and she prayed a prayer, and I'll never forget this prayer. I don't I don't know what it took for her to pray this, but she said, God. I'd rather you take him home. I'd rather you take him home than to watch him kill himself like this. For a mom to say, God, I'd rather him die and go be with you than to watch him keep going on like this. Only faith can do that for a person because a mother's love is strong for her to say, I'd rather you have him. And what's crazy is she prayed that prayer at nine o'clock in the morning. I'd been running for police officers for, for about three and a half years in the same town. Like, you know, mission trip in the same town. I'm running from the police officer in the same town. We're all just, just running around the town. She prays that prayer for me at 9.30 a.m. And by 11 o'clock, I'm arrested. No bond, no way to get out of jail. I'm like, this is weird. Look. I should have a bond to be able to get out of here. And they're like, no, you don't have a bond. I'm like, I could kill somebody and get a bond. What do you mean I don't got a bond? It was like, I don't know. It was God keeping me there for a period. So uh, so in there, uh, while, while I was in jail, I was, um, uh, my mom was trying to encourage me. She was like, you know, son, Paul was in prison. I said, mom, Paul wasn't selling weed, mom. It's not the same. It's not the same. She was. She's trying to encourage me. Paul's in prison too. Don't, Mom. I appreciate, I appreciate your heart behind that. She would write me letters and, and, and quote, uh, all, everything was Paul's letters. I'm like, stop, okay? So, uh, so um, my, lawyer, my lawyer told me about this program called Renewed Life Ministries. And Renewed Life Ministries was a one-year program for guys who struggle with life-controlling problems, right? That's a church way of saying, you got drug addiction issues, go get your life together, okay? Um, so I, um, I asked if I could go to this program, and, and long story, even longer, I was able to get into this program, and, uh, and while I was in, that pro- in the program, um, the program is 12 months. Did I tell you that? Did I say that? It's a one-year program? It's a one-year pro- program. So I actually uh, I was able to go to this program. And while I was in this program, the director, his name was Derek Faulkner, and he became a mentor for me for many, many years uh, through this program. Um, but when you're in the program, it's a residential place only for guys. And I, I didn't get to go home, right? Um, and you get a home pass for, like, you get a home pass for, like, a weekend after you've been there for so long. And I kept screwing up and getting my home pass revoked. So it was, like, five months before I got to come home, Right? Imagine that, me screwing up a home pass, right? Right, so, um, so I'd gone to jail, I'm in the program, I'm getting my first home pass, and the director says to me, hey man, before you go home, I got a word for you, okay? And I was gonna come home, and I was gonna come to church here at Springhouse, um, and he said, before you go home, I got a word, I got a word. And in the word, he said, here's the word I got for you. He said, be still and know that I'm God. And I'm like, See it? That's all you got? All right, cool. Can I go? Are we good to go? He said, yep, you can go. Be still. Know that I'm God. 
So I leave, right? And the program is in Woodbury. Has anybody, anybody ever been to Woodbury, been through Woodbury? You don't really just go to Woodbury. You go through Woodbury. Hey, if you're from Woodbury, my bad. It's my bad, okay? Uh, but you know what I'm talking about, right? So there's like three churches in Woodbury as you come down the hill. And two out of the three had on the marquee, be still and know that I am God, okay? Oh, no, it gets better, ma. Look. So, so I'm coming down the hill, and I'm like, well, that's, all right, you know what, forget it, okay? Um, so I come home, um, I, I enjoy that Friday night, that Saturday, and then Sunday morning, I'm getting ready to come to church here at Springhouse, right? And, uh, and a, uh, uh, my niece comes bebopping through the house, be still and know that I'm God. I'm like, where'd you hear that, little girl? And apparently my mom had had this little sign up and she saw the sign and had read the sign and quoted it. But it hit me because my, my spider senses is up a little bit, but I don't know what this means. You ever get a word, but you know you got a word, but you don't know what this word's about, right? So now I've, done her, I've seen it, I've heard it. We come to church. I'm sitting right over there. I'm, I mean, right over there. These two rows were crammed together, but I'm right there. And during the worship, one of the girls that was singing, she was like, look, I don't normally do this, but I just felt like I, I had to share this morning. I'm reading, and God gave me this verse, and, and I don't know who it's for, but I just want to share. And she's standing right here, right here on this X, and she just turns and looks, and she starts reading out of Psalm 46, and my hands were on the front of those chairs. Just sh- There's probably still fingerprints in that chair. And she's reading out of Psalm 46, and as she gets down to verse 10, she says, be still and know that I am God, and I'm underneath the chairs over there. And then they go into this impromptu rendition of Hillsong United, be still, know I am God. Are you excited for Springhouse Presents this year with that? <laughs> and it wrecked me, because I don't know, I, don't, I know God's, the God of the universe is trying to speak to me, but I don't know what he's saying. I don't know what he's saying. And so I go back to the program and I grab every Bible, every concordance, every Hebrew, Greek, everything. And I've got a kitchen table full and I'm looking at root words and I'm, I'm looking up original meanings, right? And it comes to, comes to, come, come to find out the word be still uh, comes from a Hebrew word whose root word is the same word as Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, right? and the Lord, your healer. And in that moment when I made the connection of be still and healer, the God of the universe spoke to me and said, if you don't stop running, I cannot heal these broken legs and you will never run for me if you don't stop. If you don't stop, I know there's a time for moving. I know there's a time for progress, but there is a holy time to just say, I am here. I cannot do the work that you need to do. I can't do it any longer. I had run for so many years. I had run so hard and so fast from the calling that was on my life. I had ran deep. I would ran far. I ran wide. And God says, I don't need you to do any more running. I just need you to stop running. I just need you to stand here and let me do the work. And from that moment, everything changed. I was a different person in the program. I went on to graduate. I met my sweetheart when I was in the program. Isn't that amazing, right? My lovely wife, Jessica. Y'all are supposed to clap every time I say my love. We're going to do this. We're going to get on the same page before we're done. 
And it's amazing that God used this house and the people in this house to minister in a way that I'll never forget. So it's only natural when I graduated the program, I brought my then girlfriend back to Springhouse, to this place, right? It was so cool. Uh, she was so new. We went on a young adults retreat that Kevin put on, and it was so last minute that everybody has their names on their door and everything. Her said Justin's girlfriend on the door, right? <laughs> right? right? Didn't even take the time to text or call a brother and be like, yo, what's your girlfriend's name? Just said Melody, you know, Tiffany, Justin's girlfriend, right? But when I come home, man, I was, I was so encouraged. I was elevated. Everybody was, I was getting so many, man, we're so proud of you, man. You're, you have no idea how many years your mom prayed for you. You have no idea how many years I prayed for you, man. We were so excited. And I had, I had people come up to me and say, man, you give me hope for my son. You're the prodigal that came home. And they just kept, and I was like, yes, yes, I am the prodigal that came home. And I just kept getting built up and built up and built up and elevated. I started getting, um, uh, I, I hesitate to call it authority, but uh, like positions? No, not. I was doing things more than just like being here, right? So I started helping with the youth and helping with the young adults and helping where I could, sweeping and holding doors. And just I just began to get more and more elevated. Oh, I forgot to say something. That be still moment is a, a radio station of life, okay? Because I don't want to just get up here and tell you a bunch of memories and a bunch of stories without you understanding um, uh, what God is trying to do. A few weeks ago, I talked about having our minds set on things above, right? Right? How the Word tells us to set your affections on things above. Those, those settings are, are predetermined places that no matter where I go, I can, I'm spring-loaded back to this. No matter where you go on the dial, when you push number one, it goes back to a 94 FM to fish, eight way FM. It better not be KDF or sports talk or 90. It's got to be a Christian station, that first preset. 92Q can come later on, but it's got to be the first one. Be still is a preset in my life. It's everywhere I go. And it's God's reminder to say, it's not on you, big boy. You don't have to carry everything. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to do the heavy lifting. And as I'm preparing to share this morning, the last thing we see is we come, me and my wife went on a date last night. And we're coming back in. There's a marquee that says, be still and know that I'm God. And I'm like, that's a setting. That's a mental setting that, that I'm spring loaded back to. So now we fast forward back here. I'm, I'm the prodigal son who returned. I'm elevated. I'm encouraged. I'm doing my thing, right? And basically, I got to the point where I was like, God, this is my bus stop. I know where I'm at. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I'm here now, okay? Which brings me to my second setting that I have on my radio dial, and that is don't compromise. Don't compromise. And I'm not saying I don't compromise. I'm saying it's a reminder not to. Because compromise always leads to more compromise, which leads to more compromise. And if you don't believe me, there's a fun little story at the end of Joshua and the beginning of Judges, right? Um, so uh, Moses has trained up Joshua. Joshua is conquering the Canaan land, right? They're doing the Canaanite conquest. Everybody on the same page, you know what I'm talking about? Moses, Joshua, they're conquering Canaan, right? Then Joshua dies, and the people don't have a leader, but they still have a call. They still have what they're supposed to be doing, okay? And they, they're, uh, the, 
around verse 18 or 19, it says this group, they, they came against some Philistines in the valley who had iron chariots. And basically, it was a hard fight. It was a difficult thing to do. And because it was too difficult and they didn't want to see it through, they said to themselves, look, they're not going to hurt anybody. It's just a small group of people. Let's just let them stay. It's, I know God said kill everybody, but it's, it's a hard fight. Let's let them stay. So they let them stay. Then the next verse says, and they let these people stay, and then they let these people stay, then they let these people stay. And by chapter 4 of Judges, they're marrying their women, they're uh, enslaved to their kings, and they're worshiping their gods. Compromise in my life, I began small little compromises. I began smoking again, hiding it from my wife, right? That's two major compromises right there, right? Mainly the hiding part. And more compromise led to more compromise led to more compromise to where here I am a leader in the church back in full-blown addiction. In secret, nobody knew. Of course, everybody knew, but nobody knew. Because you can't, you can't get away with everything. And especially when you're doing something in the dark, for some reason you think everybody's an idiot. Or maybe that's just me. I'm like, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So I had a relapse in 2015. I had, uh, I had said to myself, I've been clean for three and a half years. I got this. And that was the, uh, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And then I had spiraled all the way out of control. And in November of 2015, I had to come in. The hardest thing I've ever had to do other than tell my wife that I'm using again after she trusted me, was I had to go and talk to Pastor Barbie and Pastor Ronnie, which was almost like, look, if you got to stand before the throne of God, then you got to tell your wife you're messing up. Then you got to talk to the leaders of the church, right? That's like right there, top five. And I had to tell them, I know you trusted me, but I'm in a broken place. But God's faithfulness through them and through this body is something that I'll never forget. I went to North Carolina in 2015 to, um, to get alone with God. I went to a program called Bethel Colony of Mercy to figure out what the root issues were that kept causing me to go back that I couldn't walk in all that God had for me. And so many people would come up to my wife and just hand her an envelope with money in it. She went to go get her car. She went to go get her car out of uh, the, the shop. And somebody from this church said, it's already taken care of. When I come home, do you know not one person said, where have you been? Not one person in this church. I was a leader, the young adults leader. And all of a sudden, I'm gone MIA for two months. And not one person in the church says, where have you been? They all said, we're glad you're home. Springhouse has been a place that consistently rumors go and they die because the people here exemplify Jesus and the Spirit of God in ways that I cannot describe. The Jesus I know works through the people in this house in amazing ways. So what do you do after you fall? You either lay down there and kick around for a while or you get back up. Right? So I got back up. 
it would have been so easy for me because I was embarrassed, man. Embarrassment, that's not a good feeling. I was embarrassed. It would have been easy for me and Jess to say, let's go somewhere else. Let's just have a fresh start. Let's just start over. But God says, no, this is where you're at. This is where I've planted you. This is what I'm doing in your life. This place, these people need you and you need them. You go back and you take your licks. And nobody was here to swing nothing. They was like, we don't have no way to. And I'm like, no, I deserve it. And they're like, as soon as I got home, Ronnie was like, all right. And I was like, I just want want to be a regular church member for a year. So all you regular church members, right? How long have you been here, right? You got that one year, and then I'm coming to you. And no joke, to the day, one year to the day, right? Pastor Ronnie was like, been a year. I'm, I am not kidding you because he knew, he, he knew, Snape, that just because you fall or just because you, you make a mess of things that the God of the universe can't pick you back up, dust you off and say, the calling is still there. I still told you to conquer Canaan land. Y'all are the ones compromising. Get up. We got a wedding to go to. The people here need you and you need these people. So he was quick to say after a year, hey man, come on, come on, come on. So I accepted my discipline. I told my wife, I'll do whatever it takes for however long it takes. I didn't have a debit card for 14 months. 14 months. I had guys, you look, you know how guys are. I had buddies like, I'll tell you what, my wife. And I'm like, yep, and that's why you ain't married. Okay? Okay? Right? Some of us need to adopt an attitude of God, whatever it takes for however long it takes. We'll say whatever it takes to the end of July to the end of 2021. Are you willing to do whatever it takes for however long it takes? Are you willing to pray for your son to come home even though you don't think he's gonna come home? Are you willing to keep coming back and say, get up, get up, get up for however long it takes? Or do you say, get up, and then you give up? 14 months, 14 months. When Jesus was baptized, when Jesus was baptized, when he came up, the Lord spoke and he said, "Um, this is my son in who I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't done anything like ministry-wise. He hadn't gone out and healed the masses. He hadn't gone out and fed people. He hadn't gone out and, and raised anybody from the dead. He was just God's son. God said, I am pleased with you. And as I was reading that in preparation, I I felt God say, I'm pleased with your person and not your performance. I'm pleased with who you are. I love you. You're my son. I'm not just looking for your performance because my whole life, the reason I've gotten in the mess I've gotten in is I have been in this performance trap that I have to perform for people or I have to perform for the kingdom or I have to perform for God. And God says, I love you, period. And now your performance can line up with the person that you are instead of your person lining up with your performance. Is who you are determined by what you do or is what you do determined by who you are? That's the key. That's the key. And I've learned that in this house. 
Springhouse has been such an amazing place. If I get the worship team to come on out. This place, this place, and the people in this place, although they've changed over the years, Springhouse, I can't even describe what it's meant to me. The ministry that's gone on in this building, in these people, is where I've come to know Jesus. How I've seen Him move in my life and other people's lives. My mom praying over there in that back corner, crying her eyes out for her lost son to come home. Alan over there trying to console her. I remember, I remember Ronnie Wimsat pushing me out into the... You guys can play if you want to. It'll be, it'll be nice. Uh, I remember Ronnie Wimsat pushing me from behind because he knew I had a desire to go pray with people. And then they called an emergency elders meeting because you got three misfits down here praying for people. And they're like, we don't know what they're praying and I also remember being such a knucklehead that nobody wanted to take me. And Fred Jones said, I'll take him. He's like me. Right? And Fred took me under his wing. He said, son, this is how we pray for people. The elders of the church, they taught me. They said, this is how you pray for people. This is how you study the word. This is how you surrender your life. This is how you don't make it about you. And you listen. And you pray for their needs. Fred Jones did that. I baptized my sister right there. I've been baptized right there. I baptized my son in that pool pool right there. I baptized friends there. I've been anointed and prayed over right here in this altar. I've cried my eyes out and I've taught from this platform. I've, I've encouraged people in there. I've swept the floors. I've held the doors. I've wiped the tables. In this house, I've been giving keys that unlock doors and had them taken away. I've got emails that said we need to have breakfast because you said some stupid stuff on that platform. For real. I've served the kids. I've served the young adults. I've served the teens because those people have served me. My story is part of your story here at Springhouse. Your story is a part of my story here at Springhouse. This place, these people, God shows up every single time the doors are open and when it's not the spirit of god hovers here like he did in the beginning over the waters and there's nothing special about this place other than that we are here to encounter a loving god the almighty creator of the universe we say god have your way in our lives he says go left and we say we're going left he says go right and we're going right this house this place I've seen people come and go. I've seen people say things that they love about the church and things they wish they would change. But no matter what, this is God's house. It's a tabernacle in my life where I've met the God of heaven. And it's all I got. It's all you got. It's all we got. We can sit up here and we play games. We can act like some people are better and some people deserve more. But we can all come to the conclusion, it's God. It's just God. And when we surrender our lives, He'll do amazing, amazing things. Memories and testimonies that will testify to people. They say, what is God doing in your life? Let me tell you. Come to church with me. Let me show you. So these altars are open. If you're praying for a loved one to come back home, if you're praying for a prodigal 
then come. The elders will be here. I'll be here. If you just want to come and thank him for his goodness in your life, if you are hurt and need healing, come to these altars this morning. If I could get the elders to come. And as we worship God in this place, in this house, you come. Come.